Today's uh, sermon is a continuation of rediscovering Jesus, uh, and it's entitled The Angel of the Lord. The Angel of the Lord. So why don't we open up to uh, Judges chapter 13, and let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we thank you that we can come to your feet and learn from you. We can engage your presence. And Father, right now, I just, I just pray against a distraction in the spirit right now. And a distraction in the, in the, in the physical realm. Computer, no computer, what does it matter? Your Lord. And Father, we just pray right now that we just be focused on your word and focused what you want to speak to us today. Amen? Amen. So, yes, we have uh, the angel of the Lord. Here it is. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Let's start there. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite, God from the womb. I'm sorry, Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Anyone know who this child will be? Very good. We jump to uh, verse 11. So Manoah, the father, the husband, arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, the man is the angel of the Lord, he said to him, are you the man who spoke to this woman, who spoke to my wife? And he said, I am. Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered upon the rock of the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahaneh Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. All right. So a little bit of a, a long uh, bit there. Josh, as I was thinking, um, maybe it's like a, a screensaver time thing, you know, maybe the auto lock kind of thing. All right. So let's, uh, let's get into this. Angel of the Lord, what on earth is, or what on earth or what in heaven is this thing, right? So... Angel of the Lord, who is he? Now, what happens here is uh, there's strong evidence uh, that it is really an example of a Christophany. 
And I could go like this, and there would be a definition, but that's okay. So a Christophany, these are one of my favorite things uh, to talk about. A Christophany, simply put, is uh, a visible manifestation or appearance of Messiah before his human incarnation. Okay? So there's a lot of evidence, strong evidence, that it's suggesting that. I think it's all lowercase history. So, it's when Jesus shows up before he comes to earth in his incarnate human form. Uh, or simply put, it's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Right? That's, that's what's going on here. And so many people uh, think that the example of the angel of the Lord is in fact Jesus incarnate in this kind of pre-incarnate form, which is very kind of a, a bit of a tongue twister to explain. Now, the, the, one of the things we have to need, need to dismantle is that we as believers, when we hear angel, we think like, you know, feathers and, and wings. And even in that picture that you saw, that's the typical notion of what an angel looks like. But really what's going on here in Hebrew, when we refer to an angel, the word is malak. Okay? And malak, translated, is simply a messenger. So you've got to dispel this like, theological myth like, Jesus can't be the angel of the Lord because he's not an angel. Amen. He's not an angel. He's not. Right? He is God. But the Hebrew here is malak. A malak is a messenger. Is Jesus a messenger of the Lord? Of course he is. He is God, but he's also a messenger of the Father. So I just want to like dismantle that a little bit. It's not like an angel with like baby and wings and a little bow and arrow, right? This is a malak Adonai. This is a messenger that speaks on behalf of God who is in the throne room. This is like major, major stuff. This isn't like cute little baby on the clouds, okay? So you need to gain that understanding so we, we, we understand what's happening, okay? So... Twelve times in the Old Testament, or in the Older Testament, an angel or a messenger of the Lord shows up, okay? So there's our little Christophany, and now hopefully we'll set up, but if it gets distracting, Josh, I'm just going to stop because it's not worth it, you know? But thanks for, for helping out. So twelve times, which is interesting, twelve disciples, twelve tribes of Israel, all this kind of stuff, twelve times this messenger or angel of the Lord shows up. And there are these patterns <clears throat> that show up in the stories. Patterns of evidence of what the message of the messenger of the Lord is. And patterns of evidence that show that really this is most likely Jesus showing up in his pre-incarnate human likeness. And so what are some of the patterns? One of the patterns, as even as we read in this story of Manoah, which is just one of the twelve, is this. <clears throat> When the angel of the Lord shows up, mankind um, seems to have see some type of manifestation of glory. Like when this messenger of the Lord shows up, he's bringing like the essence of heaven that comes. And what I mean by that is that there's usually some type of fear, holy, reverent fear that happens. Uh, there are strong feelings that happen. And it's almost like the person is overcome by the experience. Right? Heaven is showing up. And it's like a manifestation of the power and the glory, uh, the Shekinah, right? The glory cloud of the Lord. So that's something. Um, of course, the angel of the Lord has this interaction with man. And the interaction usually is, in fact, a message, which, which make, would make sense. Because he's not just the angel of the Lord, he's the messenger. And if you're the messenger of the Lord, you're bringing a message. The message is some type of purpose. There's some type of job or something that has to be done by man to fulfill these obligations. A third pattern that is almost always there is, and it's very important, is a name exchange. Okay? The messenger of the Lord usually goes to the man or the woman and then says, what's your name? Right? And then the person, the man or woman, usually responds and asks the angel of the Lord, well, what's your name? Now, this is very interesting. In the story of Manoah, uh, the angel of the Lord coming to his wife and then coming to Manoah, Manoah responds and says, well, my name is Manoah, but what's your name? And the angel of the Lord responds in this very, very beautiful and powerful thing. The response which we read is the angel of the Lord says, my name is too wonderful for you to comprehend. Come on. It is too wonderful for you to know, some of the translations are. It's, it's a notion that my name is so magnificent 
and is so amazing that you can't even comprehend it. And that is why I think, in many regards, so there's a lot of things, but this is one of the reasons why I think it's, it's really the manifestation of the name of Yeshua. God is salvation. It's like in an old covenant paradigm, without the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, people probably could not really comprehend the nuance and the, and, and the wonderful nature of it. Like, I think people that, like, J, uh, Manoah would be like, oh, I know the name Yeshua. It's, a, it's Joshua. I understand that. But the wonderful part is that if he mentioned the name, like, like, like Manoah probably wouldn't be able to process the understanding. And that's why it's too wonderful for me to even convey to you. So I'm not telling you my name. And peace out. Right? The angel in all of these stories always, always, always refuses to give his name. And then the last piece, which I think is probably the greatest power that it is a manifestation of God himself and Jesus, uh, is this. Uh, every time a person comes in counter with the angel of the Lord, they're freaking out. Oh my gosh, reverence, I'm going to die. Why are you going to die? Because I have seen God face to face. And there's that statement. I have seen God face to face. It's always like, well, you saw an angel. It doesn't mean you saw God face to face. But if you see God, you saw, you saw God. Okay? So that is what's going on in these stories. These are the patterns. Okay? So could maybe Jesus be angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord? I personally think so. I think there's enough evidence that suggests that. If not, Okay. The angel of the Lord still has a message. And so today, I want to take a look at what is this message of the Lord, or a message from the messenger of the Lord, and I think it's the message that Jesus has come to convey, hence rediscovering Jesus. So let's now take a look at probably the most um, famous example of this exchange between man and the messenger, the malach, the angel of the Lord. This is found in Genesis 32. Right, this is Jacob. And this is where we're going to be uh, teaching out of today. All right, Genesis uh, chapter 32. Let's go to verse 22. Um, this is uh, Jacob wrestling with God. I'm sure we are familiar with this. Uh, and he, Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket, socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he, the man, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, says, why is it that you ask me about my name? And then he blesses him there. Won't tell him his name. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Very important. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. All right, so that muscle is the um, uh, sciatic nerve, is, is what's believed. In Hebrew, it's the gid but uh, you're not supposed to eat of that tendon, I guess, or that nerve um, in the scriptures here. But it's essentially, it's like, oh, my sciatica, that, that runs down the, 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 the hip. So the idea is that the, the, the angel, the messenger, displace the hip, which put the pressure on the sciatic nerve that caused this chronic kind of issue, all right, is the idea. But let's get into the background of what's going on in this story. Hopefully you know a little bit about Jacob, right? Jacob, uh, Yaakov, is essentially, uh, his name essentially means a deceiver, one who grabs the heel, but one who acts out in deceit, 
right? Probably know the story, right? Even in the womb, he and his twin brother are fighting. They're wrestling, right? There's a prophetic announcement. There are two nations in your womb, and they shall forever be at odds with one another. You still see that today, thousands of years later. Uh, we know that Jacob is such a deceiver that he actually steals his older brother's birthright over essentially a, a bowl of stew or a bowl, a bowl of porridge or something, right? Um, and so what happens here in this story preceding what we just read is, is this happens. He steals his brother's birthright uh, and he gets nervous. And so what he does is he flees the scene of his family, the, flees the scene of his brother Esau, and he leaves with his family, his property, and his servants. And what happens here is Jacob now leaves, and he's in this place essentially in uh, the wilderness, uh, which I'm simply going to call the place of the unknown. Okay? He's there. Uh, and it says in the scriptures that he comes to a river when he's hanging out there. The name of the river, river is the Jabbok River. Okay? Um, and... Josh, this may be pushing it, but that's nah, all right. I, I have a little video, but why don't you go back there and you can just see this is a, this is a, a footage from this area of Israel. It's a river. It's going from east to west, essentially from the, from, from the nation of Jordan into Israel. Um, Yaakov and Yavok would be the difference in Hebrew. So, there's no sound, but I just want you to see. Now, that's today. You see how beautiful it is. So he's hanging out. Uh, on the Jabbok River, or in Hebrew it would be Yavok River. Yeah, very beautiful. And it's just going to pan back. So there it is in Israel. If you want to go to Israel one day, some of us, or by yourself, it's all good. All right, cool. So that's what we got. And uh, what does the scripture, what does the story tell us, right? He's hanging out in this unknown place. Uh, alongside this river, known as the Jabbok River or the Yavok River, and he does something I think like pretty stinking sinister, actually quite deceiving. It says clearly that what he does is he puts his servants out in front of him. His servants, his property, are all out on the front of him on the eastern side of the Jabbok River. And then you have the Jabbok River, then you have Jacob, then on the western side, what does he have? He places his family. Uh, what is he doing? Buffer. This guy has fled his older brother, who is enraged that his younger brother has tricked him and has taken his inheritance. So he leaves. The guy is such a deceiver that he uses his family as a buffer. Like, if Esau comes in with his troops, which we see later, Esau is coming with his troops, his family is going to shout, and he's going to have time to... Escape, probably. And on the other side, he's got his servants. So if Esau comes from that side, he's going to hear his servants. And he's got a river that he would have to go across. So Jacob is like kind of protected. It's, it's really actually messy. And so what I thought the Lord was saying uh, here in all of this, the message of the Lord is this. Jacob surrounds himself for protection from Esau, from his fears, and he puts his family, his wealth, his prosperity all around him to protect him from Esau. To protect him from his own fears. So, what is Esau representative in the story? I believe that Esau is really representing a lot of Jacob's fears, his shortcomings, his past, and his own inadequacies. And so the result here is, is very clear in the Hebrew. Uh, it's Jacob, Yaakov, goes by the river Yavok. And what we see here is the text is trying to tell us itself. Jacob is living a backwards life. You have Jacob and Yavok. If you take a look at how it's done, the K sound is switched. The B sound is switched. The text is telling us in a literary manner that Jacob sitting by the Javik River is living a life which is backwards. The lettering is being switched, showing a literary device that Jacob is living a backwards life. The ba and the ka are being switched. Jacob has lived a backwards life. 
He's turned around. He's not doing the right thing. And this is the name of the river Yavok. I don't know if you can see it with the coloring, but the, the, the sounds are being switched. You get that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very clear. And these, these are like teachings from, from like kind of the rabbinical sources. It's very clear that the, the illustration here is Jacob is running because he's running and living a backwards life. Wow. Right? He's using his property, his wealth, and his family to protect him from his own fears opposed to other more righteous ways of living. So Jacob does not confront his fears. Jacob does not confront his inadequacies. Now, what's interesting here is for those that are like, you know, grabbing this stuff, the only, the only sound that is not switched in the name is the Yah. Because Yah is the derivative of Yahweh. God is immovable. God cannot be made backwards. Right? So, Yahov, Yah. Yahweh, Yahvok, right? It's the switching. And so, if you're into that kind of stuff, that's it's there. Not everyone's into that kind of stuff, but I thought it's powerful. There is a message in this story, and there's a message, of course, from the messenger of the Lord. And I think it's a similar message, or the same message, that Jesus is conveying in many regards. And it's this. What do we surround ourselves with to protect us? What do we surround ourselves with to attempt to hide from the past, your fears, your shortcomings, your inadequacies, your family dynamics, whatever it may be, what do you surround yourself with to hide? What do we surround ourselves with to protect? And so, really, what I think is going on here in this story is the messenger of the Lord, Jesus, wants you to encounter him like he did, like Jacob did. For the encounter brings a change in perception and a change in, and, and that creates a transformation. He, he, Jesus, wants to bring an encounter with the messenger, but also with the message. And that message is, you can't hide. You can't do all these things to protect yourself. And so I believe that this encounter with Jacob and this encounter that we can have actually produces, hopefully, a name change and a paradigm change. Uh, the message that is going forth from the angel of the Lord is a message of a name change. And a name change can only occur when there is a paradigm change. I want you to get this. The angel of the Lord changes Jacob's name from deceiver to Israel. One who struggles with God and prevails. He gets a name change in this experience. And a name change is now going to create a paradigm change for Jacob. And this is the message that is going forth. Let's uh, open up to uh, Genesis 33. I believe. I know, so Exodus 33. Oh, nope. I got the wrong reference. Um, Genesis 33, I'm sorry. That would make more sense. Uh, Genesis chapter 33, verse 1. This is, this is after the transformation, right? This is after he has the encounter with the angel of the Lord. Now, Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. It's like, oh, man. Like, I deceived my older brother. I took all of his money. I took his inheritance. I took his anointing, and now he's coming after me. Remember, that's the reason why Jacob was hiding out in the wilderness in the first place. So he, Jacob, divided the children. Listen to this now. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, and Leah, or Leah in Hebrew, and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, and he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. 
And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these with you? There's this beautiful situation that happens is that Esau is going to run out. Like Essentially, if you want to use Esau as the example of fear, the fear is coming to him. And Jacob is no longer able to hide. He meets the fear. He meets the Esau. And the meeting of those things only can happen after his name is changed. And there's a change of paradigm. So in this section, we see that Jacob faces Esau. He faces his fears. He uses the family, the wealth, and the prosperity, and essentially puts it behind him. And he's no longer hiding, and he runs towards this fear. And this all happens from a change, because he had an encounter with the Lord. And so I felt like the Lord was just speaking to us when we hear that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, and rediscovering Jesus is this. We need to get to a place where we no longer hide from our fears. We need to no longer try to protect our vulnerabilities like Jacob did. And I believe this can only happen in Jacob's experience because Jacob is in fact reborn. Right? He receives the message from the angel of the Lord and the message from the angel of the Lord is you are no longer a deceiver. You're no longer Jacob. You are Israel, he who has wrestled and struggles with God and prevails. I feel, in many regards, that in, in the Western church, we, we really shy away from such a struggle. You know, just pray the struggle away. Amen, that's awesome. Pray the struggle away. I'm, I'm for that. But what we have here is, is Jacob is forced. He's forced to struggle. And I think, or wrestle, right? And I think many of us shy away from the wrestling match. We shy away from the struggle. And I think if that happens, essentially we become Jacob's. We live a life of deceit. We live a life of self-deception. We just hide. Don't want to deal with the struggle. Don't want to deal with the difficult. Don't want to deal with the idol. Don't want to deal with the bondage. Don't want to deal with the wound. Just hide it. And we can hide it in church. And we can hide it with Christian things. True. Right? True, man. Just quoting the scriptures. Just doing the thing where there's still a lot of wounds. I mean, has anyone ever interacted with someone who's been saved for a long time, but you know that there are like certain things you can't talk about, or if it comes up, there's a wound that is happening. Yeah. And it's really because they, they haven't dealt with that wound. Right. And they haven't allowed Jesus to deal with that wound. Right. But they've just hidden the wound. Yep. I don't want that to be a place here. I don't want that, that this to be a place like that, right? And, and so I, I believe that this name change that Jacob gets creates a paradigm change. And, and I'm hoping that we can, we can release ourselves and, we can, and we, we can just receive a form of deliverance from this. What if, what if the process of the struggle is more important than what you were first seeking? So good, man. Yeah. Come on. This is really going to change a lot of our Western Christian uh, thought process. Right? What if the struggling with the things in life was actually the point? Like, what if it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a thing that's going to develop your character? Right? What if it creates an environment where you get to come face to face at a place called Peniel with, with, with the messenger of the Lord? And so what's really scary here is I wonder how many of us are praying away, praying away all the difficulties. And we're missing the moment. Look, there's times, please, there, there's times to pray away difficulties. Come on. Like, you know, you, you, got, you got a terminal disease, a cancer, man. You pray that thing out, right? But what, what I'm trying to get you to understand is when we go through our daily struggles, we are focusing so much on the struggle that we miss the wrestling match with the Lord. That's good, dude. Come on. You miss it. If you miss it, you're not going to be blessed if, if, by, by, by the angel or by, by Jesus, right? What if, and this is the one I really feel the Lord is on, what if Jacob wrestling with God was actually not Jacob wrestling against him? 
but rather a partnership with God to wrestle out all, out all of Jacob's feelings of inadequacy and worries. Like so many of us say that, well, Jacob's wrestling with God. I, I know he's wrestling with God, but maybe the actual struggling is a little bit more of like a sparring. It's a little bit more of a training. And the angel of the Lord shows up to Jacob and says, I need to spar with you. It's the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord could just be like, boom, you know, and take him out. But he doesn't. Do you think an angel of heaven couldn't just squash Jacob? Of course he could have. He doesn't. Let's spar. Let me train you. And I think the wrestling match is not a wrestling against God. It's a wrestling with God. Let's bring up all of the junk, Jacob. Let's force you to be faced with the inaccuracies. Let's force you to face the past, the present, the future. Let, let, I want to force you to face your daddy issues and your mommy issues and your younger brother issues. Let's wrestle it out right now. You see, in the Western church, we think we wrestle with God to have him produce the outcome. Where God's like, no, I'm wrestling with you to spar with you, to train you. So that the difficulty just rolls right off of you, like water off a duck's back. I think that's the real lesson here. Because he gets a limp. What if the confrontation of all that must be removed in your life allows you not to hide behind things anymore? but allows you to see the nature and manifestation of God. Like the difficulty, right? The, the adversity, the tribulation, the shaking, the fire that comes. Maybe, maybe it's there to allow you to see the full nature of God. What if? What if the message of the law, I'm sorry, the message of the Lord that is coming here is actually, let's have a raw moment together. You know, you know when everything is hunky-dory, what we're more likely to do. And then the trials come, the difficulties come, and now you're holding on to Jesus. Maybe. The message for the messenger of the Lord is let's have a raw moment. Maybe it's a Psalm 27. Maybe it's in a place that's going to produce a heart that says one thing I've desired of the Lord. One thing that I will seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. Hmm, that's cool, David, but let's see the context of what's bringing this out. For in the time of trouble, see, in the time of trouble, David is motivated and is, is brought to this place, I just need to see you. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said unto you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Right? Uh, Mario, you can calm down, please. Just feel like the Lord just needs to break through a little bit in this. I feel like there's, you know, it's a silly screen. I don't know if it's environment. I don't know if it's a spiritual thing where, like, we're coming up against some big stuff here. You know, we're, we're just, we're getting into, like, look, man, there are things in our lives that need to be wrestled out. And many of us are like a Jacob and we're like, forget that. I'm running away. Not only do I run away, I'm going to hide everything. I'm going to put a mask on, right? I'm going to hide everything and, and protect my image, right? Amen. Amen. That's not a good place to be. And so what we have here is in this text of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, or shall I say, wrestling alongside of the Lord, is Jacob receives a limp. It's really weird. Now, the limp 
is happening because a raw moment with the Lord is supposed to create a limp. I believe the church today that we need to desire to be heroes that limp. There are a lot of people in the church who are heroes that don't limp. We need to become a bride. We need to become sons and daughters that are heroes, victorious ones who walk with a limp. We need people to to limp in the church again. Those that understand God. Those who have come alongside Him. Those that have seen God. Those that have wrestled out the junk out of their lives. And not ones who simply echo the thoughts and opinions of others. There's a lot of that going on in the church. You know, you can read a couple of Bill Johnson books, and Bill Johnson's awesome. And you start just quoting Bill Johnson. Or you just start quoting Randy Clark, another awesome, powerful person. I'm all for it. But if your vernacular is just the quotation of others, you're living a life of an echo chamber. You need to get out and see God face to face and have an encounter. But the encounter is going to bring a limp. It raises a question. Do we really want to wrestle with God? Or shall I say wrestle alongside God? Because, as we saw here, when you wrestle, you in fact do get a limp. What is Jacob's limp? What is this idea of being a hero that limps? There's a lot of different takes on it. But I believe the Lord is on this. I believe the limp is this. Jacob, you have been running. You've been running away from your problems. You've been running away from your fears. You've been using things and people and your own wealth and your own prosperity to hide what's really going on inside. And now, you have a limp. You can't run anymore. If Jacob gets a limp, he can no longer run away from Esau. He is forced to confront the thing. I think this is the power of it. We, we need to get this. And if you take a look at Jacob's life, like he has had a lot of problems and a lot of fears and a lot of issues. His name is Deceiver. He deceives others, but the problem with deceiving others is eventually you deceive yourself. He's the younger brother. He wants the inheritance. He wants the anointing of his brother. You read the story, he's a mama's boy, which is probably not a really good thing to be back then. Esau, the older brother, is the hairy one. Jacob seems to have less of that body hair. Esau is the hunter. He goes out and hunts with his dad. And it says specifically, and Jacob stayed home and made tents, hung out with his mom. Dad comes back with the kill with his brother. It actually seems that even from the womb, Esau, in fact, wanted... I'm sorry. From the womb, it seems that Jacob actually wanted to be Esau. He pretends to be him. When his father is dying, he goes and puts the fur on his forearms, allows his blinding, dying father to touch his arms and say, Oh, is that Esau? Yes, Dad, it is, but it's not. And then he receives the blessing? Question is, who are we pretending to be? Are we willing to confront the things? See, Esau is his want. And his want is his own fear. His Esau keeps him in a bondage of deceit. And this is important because if you practice deceit, and you hide from the things that you need to change, you, in fact, will be deceived, people. Self-deception. And in the end, the deceiver gets his just reward. 
How funny is it that Jacob, the ultimate deceiver, the ultimate con man, is conned? You know what I'm talking about? We've got we to read our Old Testament stories again. Jacob, Laban, I've fallen in love with your, with your daughter. Work for me for seven years and I'll give you her. Okay. And then who does he get? Not Rachel, but Leah. And on his wedding night, he found, finds out that his, his father-in-law gave him the wrong daughter. And he confronts him, and Laban there is like smiling. She's the older daughter. You have to wed that one off before the younger. And all of those issues of Jacob being a younger, not an older, not receiving a blessing, all comes back up again. He's got to work another seven years to get Rachel. The con man is con. The deceiver is deceived. Because he's living a life of self-deception. He has not confronted the issues of his life until a man until I'm unlock Adonai, until an angel of the Lord says, let's wrestle it out. The only thing that sets Jacob free, the only thing that will set you free, is to see God face to face. And I'm telling you, seeing God face to face is not necessarily just a worship set. It's not just a prayer set. In the story of Jacob, seeing God face to face is to say, I need and I desire to wrestle out all of the things that need to go out of my life. It's a wrestling of getting out the inadequacies, the struggles, the fears, all of the things that need to come down to the cross, comes down to the cross. Many of us want a Peniel moment and we sing about it, but we're not willing to wrestle out all of those things in our life that need to go. And there are different ways to do that. And so let's, uh, let's stand as we just close out here. I feel like the Lord is saying to us in this hour and in this day that we need to be reminded of what Jacob was reminded of. You can no longer run away. You are forced to confront the unknown. Forced to confront the envy, forced to confront the jealousy. And as the text says, all night Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. But I believe, as I said earlier, that he wrestled not just with the Lord, but he wrestled with the message of the Lord. The wrestling was a, a confrontation. It was a, a, also a symbol of what's going on. The, the wrestling match was a, was a representative of Jacob wrestling with his past. Wrestling with his identity issues. Wrestling with the, all of his fears of inadequacy. It's like when he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, he was wrestling with being a mama's boy. He was wrestling with Esau. He was wrestling with his identity. And wrestling with his faith. And so I believe what the Lord is saying to us in this hour is that Jesus brings all of that up. And you'll be one of two people. You will either be a Jacob that flees or you'll be an Israel that wrestles and prevails. Look, man, we all talk about being born again, but there's a time, just like Jacob, he's born again, but it's time to grow up again. And growing up again is coming face to face. The things in your life that need to be surrendered to the Lord. I'm really closing up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Paul speaking, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Fire is a refining process. It says here in 1 Corinthians that on the other side of the fire is a reward. The reward 
is the name change. The, the reward is the growing up again. The reward is the sanctification, the progressive sanctification of your life. And I'm telling you, you have to watch ourselves. We have to watch ourselves because it's so easy to remain a Jacob because self-deception is so easy. I want to be an Israel. I want to be a favored son. I want to be one who has wrestled with God or rather wrestled alongside of God to pull out all the things in my life that need to go. But I'm telling you, it is so easy just to hide behind the Christianese, hide behind the Christian culture, hide behind all the things that you're supposed to say and you're supposed to do. Jesus wants a raw moment with you. Jesus wants to give you a limp and say, you got to stop running. you got to face your devil now. you got to face that issue now. Lord, I just come before you and I just ask. Holy Spirit, just come right now, Lord. Father, you say that you have made all things new. Father, you, you, you said through your son that you've come to give us life, but li not just life, but life abundantly. Lord, you, you say in your word that your, your salvation is supposed to be my joy. Father, I pray right now that we can receive the full gospel. Father, I pray that we would be a people that don't just get born again, but Lord, we'd be a people that get grown up again. Father, I pray right now that we can really, really see your beauty and we really can understand what kind of life you have for us. But sometimes to get that life, we have to go through those flames. Sometimes we need to wrestle it out all night. Father, I want to be a people that are not just saved, but are people that are walking with a limp that say, I can't run away from you anymore. I can't, Lord. I can't run away from the whisper in my spirit that just has your, has a, your finger on a nerve that says, you got to get rid of this, David, in your life. I don't want to hide anymore. I don't want to protect myself through human means anymore. I want to come undone and pure before you. And I pray that Bristol is a church that's on their, that's on their voice, that's on their lips. That we can see people have stories, who are heroes that limp, that say, the Lord, the Lord just wouldn't let this go for my life. He raised it up. He forced me to confront it. He loves me so much that he forced me to confront it. That his love for me as a father to a son is to see his son, to see his daughter grow up into an adult, to be transformed into the image of, of Christ from glory to glory to we see him face to face again. Let's just wait on the Lord. I don't think he's done yet. <laughs> I think the struggle of some of service is the struggle. I have a raw moment with God. Come on. Right now. You're in, if you're in that wilderness place, if you could say, if you could say in your life, you've been running away. You've been running away from the things that God is saying, I need to surrender to me right now. I want you to put your hand up right now. I just want to pray for you. Come there's no shame. I've got things in my life where the Lord has just put his finger on. And I'm like, ah, I'll deal with that next week. 
I'll deal with that once I get a little safer. Lord, I just pray for these hands, these hands that are up, whatever it may be. Whatever feeling, whatever that thing, any flesh of the lust that needs to be surrendered to the cross. Father, I pray for a, a wrestling match right now. Lord, I, I pray for a, for, for a moment with you where you come alongside of us and you root up all of the things. You just root up all of those things. Yes, Lord. Jesus. you if you feel comfortable to come forward if the Lord if the Lord is raising something up if he's dra drawing out something something that you've you've hid something that you've something that you've run away from in your life I feel like the Lord wants to just set you free Sometimes you have to wrestle it out a little bit. You have to be trained. You have to, be, you have to spar a little bit with the Lord to, to learn of his ways. Amen. just encourage you, if this, is, if this is you, to come on down. And we'll have uh, some, of, some of our ministry team to, to pray for you. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you here Wednesday for a prayer and, and time of worship. End or on Friday at our Bible study. If not, hope to see you next week. Bye bye.